Hello everyone, I'm John Pataki and welcome to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than a tissue massage from Dr. Quadpaw into pop culture, film, and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. Today we are talking, and or of course, the Aldani arc. Came to a close with this last episode, The Eye, and to talk about it with me today, fresh from your best friend's wedding probably, is uh, <laughs> is Star Wars correspondent Stephanie Cole. You're always at a wedding. No, this season all my friends decided to get married. Um, I... No more weddings after this. I'm so tired. Okay. <laughs> but Star Wars is getting me through. <laughs> Some of my friends are like always at weddings. And then people like me are like have a wedding every three years. And it's like a big blowout wedding and that's it. But I'm like, man, people are just always at weddings. It's crazy. I'm, I'm never so. at weddings until this year. And that's when everyone decided to get married at the exact same time. So, you know, and also every wedding has like 2 million events attached to it nowadays, sure, not just yeah. the weddings. So the rehearsal, like, rehearsal dinner. The, the, the shower, the, the this, the this, the, <laughs> the travel, the bachelorette parties are now trips. Oh <laughs> All gosh. of that, you know. Ooh, a destination. I, I'm always like on the fence about destination weddings and like like bachelorette and bachelor trips because it's like, that's a lot to ask of people. They've been all so fun while I'm there, but like sure. it's just with all of it together, it's been like, I'm tired. <laughs> well, I hope someone has their bachelor party on Aldani because it's a beautiful place and the setting uh, for this arc of the last three episodes of Andor. Let's talk first uh, the Axe Forgets, the middle episode of this arc. And it's largely, like we were saying, kind of like the first two episodes were definitely largely table setting yeah. in a way for like one of the biggest payoffs in pop culture storytelling history, oh in my, my opinion, in this episode. Yep. <laughs> so we're kind of going to try to go ahead and like fold that in as we're going, I think that's the true genius of the show. Um, mm -hmm. I want you to kind of speak on what you, how do you feel so far about this specific arc of Andor and then Andor, are you still completely locked in? Oh, hell yeah. This is not just the best star, some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen. This is just some of the best TV storytelling totally. I've ever seen. It's just up there with what I would consider some of the best television I've ever watched. I um, I was saying, like, I want to recommend this show to everyone. I want to say, love Star Wars, watch Andor. Hate Star Wars, watch Andor. It'll change your mind. Yeah, um, make you Still love Star indifferent Wars. about Star Wars, you should still watch Andor. Uh, watched one Star Wars, don't know anything about Star Wars, you should watch Andor. Like, it doesn't matter. Just watch the show. It's so freaking good. Yeah, the barrier to entry is the, <laughs> the sci-fi wackiness of Star Wars for some people, I think. And I've, you know, I've been telling people at work, like, just you will love it if you like. If you like Game of Thrones, you'll exactly. love it. Exactly. If people can get into Game of Thrones because the storytelling works for you, I mean, in the earlier seasons, in my opinion, that but you could like get over the dragons and things like that. Literally the same with this. Like it's the same. So it's so good. It's just like pretend you're watching like a historical fiction thing and just like totally Guns of Navarone or like it feels like World War II footage, like. And that's what Star Wars is all about, which is why I think that this is not just good storytelling. It somehow feels so much more like Star Wars than anything that's been recently before that. And it's one of those things where I continuously am like, this is what I want. This is what I want more of. It's awesome. And yeah, on the Aldani arc in general, yes, the first two episodes were like very, very slow paced, character heavy, table setting subtle moments you have to read into things the way that it all pays off was just something that you could not replicate with something that's just bam bam action all the time mm -hmm. you couldn't replicate 
how invested you were in these characters you just met and how invested you were in this plan, this story, this heist, essentially, that you are watching. You couldn't be that invested if you didn't have those slow build story episodes before, those two before. And I think that, like, you know, I... I guess I've heard of, I haven't seen any personally, but I've heard of some people saying, oh, it's too slow. It's kind of boring compared. It's like, it's, it's paced. It's well-paced storytelling. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's what it feels like to watch something that's really carefully paced to pay off. And like previous, like long form storytelling, that's the benefit of it. Like the ability to do that is what makes long form storytelling work and it feels this feels like watching like one of my favorite if i were to think of a favorite star wars novel it has a similar feeling where it's like slow pace for payoff it's really spectacular and in some ways i think that that's also very in keeping with the spirit of the original star wars now they didn't take this long the first star wars movie is very bang 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 action but George Lucas always emphasized how important it was to make people understand the specific mechanics of a plan of an action sequence before you go into the action sequence so that you can follow it. That's why he talks about how that's why he had the little map of the Death Star, the little uh, like presentation room where uh, Dodonna is explaining the the everything that they have to do during the Death Star run so that when you are in the Death Star run, you aren't asking questions about what's happening and who's doing what. You are in it. You understand it. And I think that the best Star Wars has done that too. Rogue One is another example of a movie that really did a good job of setting up exactly what needed to be accomplished to achieve the you know, the end goal of steal, of stealing the plans and broadcasting them so that when you're watching the whole Scarif action scene, you can be invested, you can understand the dramatic moments, you can understand when things are going awry, how they need to adapt. I think that one of the weaknesses of some other Star Wars, I'm not naming names, but they might start with JJ and end with Abrams um, <laughs> are not, are like just sort of action sequences with X-Wings and things in them and you have literally no idea what's happening. There's just like things happening, blowing up around and you're like, uh, what is going on? And so like it feels exciting in a purely visual sense, but you can't have an emotional investment in it because you don't know what's happening because it's right. not well right. explained to you. It's not well set up. So even though this is a much longer version of like the Dodonna presentation and the original A New Hope. It's 100% in that spirit so that it works in a way that is extremely Star Wars. First of all, my boys have a Dodonna Lego minifigure that they said looks like me the other day. And I was like, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> and your point is well taken about the heist setup. The aspect of like knowing that everything's planned to a T creates so much more tension when you feel like you're a part of the crew. The moment you see something like a, like an officer in a control room pick up on a signal, you're like, oh no, it's all going to fall yeah. apart. So the tension mm-hmm. comes from knowing what the characters don't know, but also what they do know. I, I just think it was an, an immaculate setup and just an immaculate knockdown. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so so amazing. In my head, like every other Star Wars show or any kind of show in general, this would have been the season finale. 
Yeah. We still have six more episodes left. Oh, it's insane. What are they going to do? Yeah. And, you know, I've heard some, heard and read some interviews that Tony Gilroy said that, like, the episode after this one is, quote unquote, very, very interesting. So that's, I wonder what that means. Interesting to me. In terms of this episode and this arc itself, in the previous episode, The Axe Forgets, everyone's setting up their reasons and well, as to why that they're participating in this. And they say, like, everyone's got a rebellion, which is now automatically like one of my favorite Star Wars lines. Everyone's got their own rebellion. And that rem- part reminded me a lot of, like, in Rogue One, when Chirrut says, you know, uh, there's more than one type of cage. Like, I sense you carriers with you wherever you go. It's kind of the same thought process just one's militarized and one's spiritualized and i just think a lot about how cassian's given the manifesto at the end of the i episode it really triggers to me the fact that like this is still the prologue sort of yeah this is still a precursor to where cassian's going to go from here because at this point he's still like fuck it i'm out i i got i did what i had to do i have my manifesto and he's written into it now but like it really feels like a beginning still. And yeah. we just have this in, in, insanely intense, you know, and it, sometimes things are kind of to scale. We're like, oh, that was really intense for a Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, that was really intense, like a Safety Brothers movie, you know, like mm-hmm. this felt like, this felt like Safety Brothers. This felt like so intense. Anything could happen except for Cassian dying. You just didn't know how it was going to happen. You know, anyone could die at any moment and you're yeah. just so invested when they do die. It's like, Oh no. And it's so yep. unceremonious. The death, the deaths, except for Nemec's obviously like, you know, Gorn's death and Tamarin's death are so just like, we still just have to go. We have to go. Mm-hmm. And all the planning and all the camaraderie and all the time spent together is over for him in mm-hmm. one second, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, it, you feel that. Whereas you know, when like Wade dies and Obi-Wan Kenobi and you're like, okay, <laughs> RIP Wade. But like, you know, you brought up J.J. Abrams and that's a great point. I think a lot about, you know, with like emotional damage from Rise of Skywalker, how <laughs> the Exegol fight at the end, mm-hmm. like I feel nothing during it at all. Yeah. And it's because you have no idea what's happening. Mm-hmm. You, it's just like lots of ships versus lots of ships, lots of lightning in the air. You know, in terms of, like you were saying, with the Death Star plans in A New Hope and then everything with Mon Mothma and Return of the Jedi, you have these like iconic moments like Luke turning off his his guidance computer, you know, or Lando flying the Millennium Falcon out of the Death Star. Yeah. And it's like, those are payoffs because you do know the plan. And this is this is kind of reiterating your point, but like there's nothing standout-ish from the Exegol battle, but everything in this episode stands out as this mm-hmm. like amazing, everything is just so perfectly orchestrated what a beautiful incredible episode of television just amazing incredible we'll talk more about the eye when we get to it too but i i don't think i've ever seen in a show where people are hyping something up in the show and then in the confines of the reality of the show it's actually as impressive and amazing as they say it is Uh, yeah because everyone's (laughs) like you gotta see the eye it's it's fucking sweet and then as soon as it started happening you know like single single crystal shard by single crystal shard to build tension by the way incredible As soon as it explodes and it's like it, the the climax of the heist. Corresponding with this insane, I mean, like, and it, yeah, you know, it's special effects, but like the show has played, it's so well done. And the show has been so honestly, like yeah. reserved in its use of special effects in a lot of ways. Like it's been very like yes. tangible. Um, that was just, it felt like it was real. And then the way that they 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 staged like the 
I, we'll get to it when we get to it. But the way they stage the ship flying through is, I was just like, this is one of the coolest things I I've know. ever seen in a Star Wars <laughs> ever. It's so good <laughs> with Nemec like, climb like it's Ugh. thrilling imagine seeing that in a theater on my crappy little 32 inch tv i was enthralled so yeah i can't imagine seeing that on like an imax i think my skin would melt off my body <laughs> seriously should we get into it let's get into the plot yeah let's do it Directed, again, by Susanna White, who did an immaculate job on these past three episodes. Just Mm -hmm. directed the hell out of them. Written by Dan Gilroy, starring, (laughs) here we go again, Diego Luna as Cassian. Stellan Scotchgard as Luthen Rail. Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. Faye Marseille as Velsartha, who I'm in just like completely in love with. Alex Lothar as Nemec. Gershwin Eustache Jr. as Tamarin. If there was ever a Gershwin Eustache, it's that guy. Um, (laughs) Stanley Townsend as Commandant Jehold Bihaz, which is like, come on, that's like it's Star quite a Wars Star name. Wars name. Jehold Bihaz. Jehold Bihaz. <laughs> it sounds um, like it's like it shouldn't be said. It sounds like kind of a swear or something. It's a naughty. little. Bit of, it's like a, it sounds a little bit slurish. It really yeah. does. Yeah. Um, Michelle Duncan as Robota Bihaz. Little Elfie Todd as Leonard Bihaz. Uh, little sick boy. Sewell Remy as Lieutenant Gorn, Evan Moss Backrack as Arvel Skeen, Denise Go as Deidre Miro, and Anton Lesser once again as Major Partagas, who I'm glad we got a little bit of at the end of the episode. The Eye, let's talk about it. On Eldani, uh, Cassian chats with Nemec, who is super anxious about the heist, and he confides in Cassian that he's adding a chapter to his manifesto, inspired by Cassian slash Clem, entitled The Role of Mercenaries in the Galactic Struggle for Freedom. Andor pumps up Nemec by telling him that the excitement of the heist will keep him motivated. Just want to talk about Diego Luna real quick. I texted Mm -hmm. Kara, DJ, friend of the pod, slash into a larger world creator when I was watching it. And I was like, why is Diego Luna the greatest actor of all time? He's so good. (laughs) And every, I was watching him, I was rewatching the last two episodes with my family over the weekend. And my dad was like, what else has he been in? I was like, not enough things, to be quite honest. He's always great. Not enough things. He's so good. I'm so glad he's getting to just like do this and just absolutely kill it. I love him. <laughs> he's just, he's in his bag completely. He's so yeah. amazing. Meanwhile, the Imperial Commandant Jehold Bihaz <laughs> briefs his fellow officers about how the Empire managed to manipulate the indigenous Dani people. In an attempt to discourage Dani pilgrims from going on their religious trek, Bihaz has established refreshment stations along the way, reducing the number of pilgrims from hundreds to around like roughly 60 Bihaz warns Lieutenant Gorn that everything must go perfectly to plan during the Imperial engineer Corporal Pedagar's visit. This conversation was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And again, just a testament to the amazing like treatment of this sprawling cast that we get Mm -hmm. in this episode. I think like four or five new characters once more that you're like, okay, these are all, these guys are all killing it. But this conversation is extremely interesting to me that like it plays into the main message of star Wars so much where it's Mm -hmm. like fascism and imperialism are eventually going to wipe out this proud people. And they've already Mm -hmm. begun the process. Some questions for you about the Dani people's presence in this episode later on, but like kind of speaking to this, like assimilation and cultural slaughter of these people. It's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't actually kill them. The empire exists to dismantle. 
Yeah. And it's like a plague and it's taking everything over and it exists to exist. It exists to wipe everything else out and just be the single point of cultural contact in the galaxy. And again, this show has huge ideas about imperialism and colonialism. And this is just playing into that. And a, a scene later on, I think, really, really wraps it up really neatly in like two lines. The the efficiency and the economy of Tony Gilroy and like Dan Gilroy's yeah. script, you know, Dan, Dan Gilroy wrote this episode, but you know that Tony was like, eh, let me see that before you put that out. <laughs> that the efficiency of what they do in these, you know, six episodes so far, but six, seven, I don't remember. My mind is It's all just show. one giant and or blur. These brief conversations in these tiny rooms with people is so much more interesting than like mm-hmm. a, any kind of sprawling, overstuffed story so yeah yeah and i just think that that's it was just such a smart way to talk about the different like ways that colonialism works and like how there are so many different types of manipulations it's not all like violent there's just so many types of manipulations that not all genocide yeah exactly and but it could be like cultural genocide done through a different way that is very like subtle but purposeful and i just think it's so smart to incorporate all of these really nuanced aspects of like how like totalitarianism works so that like star wars has always been about these really complex big like political and social themes and i just think it's so fantastic that they are really leaning into all the complexities of it and like having people think because that's what star wars is about it's about like wrapping all of these really big ideas up in this fun space thing to like make it really easy for us to process it but like think about it too yeah um so meanwhile tamarin attempts in vain to make contact with vel using the code name echo one while walking down the hill skeen tells andor that tamarin was a former stormtrooper and that cinta's family was wiped out by them as pilgrims arrive, comets begin firing through the sky, beginning the Eye of Aldani. I at first didn't know that that's what was happening. I was like, are these sure. like flares or signals or something? Because I like, you know, was picturing this whole like massive celestial event. But then as I started to realize what was happening, oh my gosh, it was so cool how it was slowly starting to like build. This is the beginning. Yes. And it would just like cut through the middle of the screen and yeah. it would interrupt dialogue. It's, I, I don't know. Yeah. Just a great way to let you know that this process is beginning now. Right. After reaching the Aldani base, Andor and his fellow rebels remove their Aldani robes and pose as Imperial army troopers welcoming the pilgrims. Elsewhere, Beehive struggles to fasten his belt and blames the compressors for damaging his clothes. Uh, his wife, Roboda, makes a case for the contrary, and we learn that their son, Leonard, is rather sick. This is the part that I was talking about where, oh, it's, you know, it's the darn machines. It's this, it's this, and this. And she's just like, or maybe you got fatter. Like, yeah. or, you know, maybe you, it's- Perhaps maybe you've expanded. Swelling. That's the line I was talking about where it's like, that's like the empire. He's just so sure of himself and his place in this place. He's not even noticing changes to his body. And it's mm-hmm. it's got to be someone else's fault. And it's just these like little moments of just arrogance, just so arrogant to even think that like it's anything but him that's causing these problems. So meanwhile, Val and Cinta swim through the river onto the base's dam. While Val and Cinta infiltrate the Imperial base, the commandment and his family attend a ceremony with the leaders of the pilgrims. Quickly before we move on to the ceremony, because it was super interesting. 
Um, I got so excited to see underwater Star Wars. That's oh, when, yes. you know it's getting good when there's some underwater Star Wars. That was surprising to me. I, I didn't really understand that that was part of the plan, but Vel does say in like the previous episode, she's like, then it'll come from below. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that means. And then it's I didn't realize it was going to be some like Mission Impossible, James Bond style underwater infiltration, which is always great. So then during the ceremony, Tamarin finally makes contact via comlink with Vel and Cinta. Vel orders them to go ahead with the mission after a brief moment of panic. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the ceremony was super interesting. They have to, I guess, every time it happens, exchange this like pelt of some sort of animal with them. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is a really, I thought it was interesting because it's like an example of how the Empire is like trying to like, they're slowly, they're like trying to pretend that they're not attempting to wipe out these indigenous people by saying, hey, we'll do your thing. You know, I'm like right. reminded of the way in real history that a lot of uh, colonizers have dealt with indigenous people by pretending at first to be okay with this thing and right. helping and helpful and we're okay with this. So they're doing this, the ceremony, but pre- previously they're just ex- complaining the whole time about how awful the smell of the pelt is, yeah. you know, and then they're, the translations are all off. Like they're mm. the, the guy who's from the- <laughs> Classic. Donnie people is like basically like fuck you all, and uh, the the guy who's um who's translating uh, Gorn right. I think so. I don't. Re- I only actually watched it through once, so I don't remember. Okay, so he's all like I'm trying to make it sound nicer than it is. Yeah, I love that trope so much. I love when yeah. someone like tells someone off in a foreign language, and then someone's like, um, they say that they're pleased to meet you, sir. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then the the Donnie leader like burns the pelt which I think is a first time thing because obviously they've had to exchange them. So he seems to be absolutely done, which is cool. And then, yeah, so then Vel is hesitating and I'm just like, oh, what's making you hesitate? I don't know. Okay. And then they go through it. I don't know. What'd you think? Um, I really love the fact that this Donnie chieftain is basically like, he says to him, like, the eye isn't just an anomaly in the sky. Like, it sees the good in people, and I still hope that there's good in you. You know, in the episode, it's called The Eye, and you think it's like, okay, it's about the event, but it's really about, like, the, the eye that shines on everyone in this episode, right? It's like, where's the good at? Where's the good to be found in this situation? And the Donnie people themselves, I, I think in, in lesser screenplay or teleplay hands, you know, something would go wrong, and then these indigenous people... People of this place would rise up and help them, but they really just exist and they're there for their sacred ritual. And they're there, I feel like, to like represent what the Empire is about to wipe out. Whether or not this heist goes through or perfectly, or this rebellion starts building up successfully, there's still casualties and collateral damage in culture and people. And the fact that they don't help fight. They're just like, we're just here for our thing while this struggle is going on behind them, I think is really thoughtful and really well done in terms of creating some sort of like anchor where it's like conflict and good and bad on both these sides. But then there's just some people that exist beyond the conflict that also become a part of the collateral damage. What you mentioned there is really interesting because I thought that like you see them, they're not going to like, it's not going to be so oblique as they're going to like rise up and help the people who are doing the robbery. But in subtle ways, like the way that the leader was basically like, uh, get out of here, we don't want this from you, and burns the uh, the thing that they gave them, you get the sense of this sort of reckoning, that this idea that was brought up in the first arc. Small ways that people are pushing back against sure. the, the empire all Love over, it. and just mm-hmm. like 
the way that the chanting that they were doing, they start doing that chanting that like really like it keeps cutting back to as it builds the tension of this heist. I felt like, you know, they're they're doing their ceremony, but it was kind of a representation of this like groundswell of rebellion, yeah. even if all they're doing is just their ceremony. But like the 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 spirit, the human spirit that it represents is like fueling what's happening in this like action sequence at the same time just really brilliantly subtle like thematic storytelling the bravery of continuing that what's sacred to you against the odds of oppression exactly yeah you know we were talking about a lot of the elements of a heist that make it exciting and tense are the elements of surprise vel panicking and just like blanking out for two minutes was shocking to me and just really thrilling and surprising like out of anyone in the whole crew you would never expect bell to be that person and on the opposite side of that cinta being the real g and being like snap snap out of it you gotta do this Mm -hmm. cinta like kicked ass through this whole episode yeah (laughs) she doesn't do a whole lot in the previous couple episodes but she just like won me over big time. I was like, number one Cinta fan. While comets streak over the skies, Vel and Cinta rappel down the dam. Uh, once inside the base, Andor seals the entrance and the rebels ambush Bihaz and his family, forcing them down to the ground at gunpoint. Colonel Pettigar points the gun at Nemec and demands that the rebels release Leonart. Nemec's face in this point was so real. How terrified he was of death in that moment was like, all over his face. And I'd, I've never really seen acting like this in Star Wars before. Yeah, it's so good. Um, Andor tries to calm the situation, but Cinta arrives just in time and shoots Pedigar. Outside, Gorn tells a soldier that he and his men can rest for the night. The pilgrims light a fire with a gifted Imperial goat hide and begin the celebration. Vel demands that Commandant Bihaz unlock the vault, but he claims he doesn't know how. And Vel calls him on his shit and tells Bihaz to cooperate or they'll kill his family and promises to spare them if they cooperate. In a command tower, an Imperial officer, Kimsey, notices that the communications are down. Another officer believes that the Eye of Aldani is the cause of the interference. Tamarin and the rebels proceed deeper into the base with the captive Bihaz, and Skeen orders several Imperial soldiers to assist with loading the payroll while the rest blow the doors of the vault with explosives. The rebels force the Imperials to load the payroll into a parked freighter. Um, when this shit starts like popping off, I'm like, man, I just love a heist so much oh and it's so well done it's better? so tense the the feeling of like no and like the guy is like starts that one imperial engineer guy starts going off the book and is like i'm gonna like you gotta let this guy go and he's pointing guns and you're like uh-uh, uh-uh. No, don't do it's it. just so stressful it's so good the guy noticing the the communications block oh i mean just the whole thing just like Edge of the sea, heart pounding. You understand everything that's happening, everything that's going off. You didn't have to like be fully aware of the plan to immediately follow the plan. And you're just like, oh man. With your knowledge of like the the arc of a heist, you're like, oh, everything's going really well. So that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I felt. I was like, oh, so far, other than like a tiny temporary hiccup, everything appears to be going to, according to plan, which... I was still at the edge of my seat, like even everything going according to plan. I was like, this is so exciting because yeah. every time something went according to plan, I was like, ah, yes. And then like, yeah. and point. then I was like, all right, next thing, next thing. And it just all felt so precarious. My hair was like all messed up after I watched this episode because I was just on literally on the edge of the couch, like rubbing my hands through my hair the whole time. So yeah. it, was just all, it was all like gelled back, sticking straight up <laughs> when I was done. The more into the heist they get, the more like adrenaline out they all get. Everyone's just like, skiing is just going off at one, at one point he's like let's go mm-hmm. like everyone's just so adrenaline out and it's it's so good it's so so good 
Back in the command center, Sinta dons an Imperial officer's uniform and switches off the transmitter and the lights. Suspicious about the base's lights, and after hearing fragments of a suspicious transmission, Kimsey leads another several Imperial Army soldiers down a flight of stairs into the vault. Now, I had a question about this one part. The okay. the bit that came through, the transition, the transmission that came through, how did that get through? Was that how did they was, set up that that happened? Was that just a glitch? I think it was just like a uh, unexpected glitch or like some sort of like um like it tuned in at the wrong time. It just I think it was just like a uh unexpectedly like signals cross and broke through or something. Yeah, I'll have to it. rewatch to see if there was anything specific that was like that's why that happened because I wouldn't put it past the show to make it like a very clear setup that I missed because everything was so exciting, but also like that was just so like, oh no, like just that a tiny little thing. It's always the littlest thing. Yeah. B has realizes that Lieutenant Gorn is working with the rebels and denounces him as a traitor, saying that he will hang. Gorn replies that he deserves far worse for serving Behaz for seven years. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. but Behaz just sounds like I'm like saying a bad. I'm like, <laughs> you're gonna get canceled this, after this, this podcast. Fucking Behaz over here. Stephanie's, can- <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's canceled. I said Behaz too many times. <laughs> Having been tipped off to the vault incursion, Alkenzie Air Base launches several Tie Fighters, starting the ticking clock. Corporal Kimsey and his men discover Gorn and his associates loading payroll cylinders onto their freighter. I love the way they made like the Imperial credits look yeah. like gold bars for this. <laughs> it was so well done with like a little storage thing. Looked Great. like Fort Knox and Goldfinger. Like how um, is there? Yeah, it does. This whole thing reminded me of um of uh of that and then Golden Eye. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gorn claims that he and his men are working on a classified mission. The officer asks Behaz for clarification, but the commandant collapses after an apparent heart attack. This was awesome because it was so well telegraphed with the fact that he, I mean, I think he really did have a heart attack. Yeah. And it's telegraphed by like him noticing that his belt's not fitting at the beginning of the episode. But also um, afterward, my sister pointed out that if you notice, he's like very winded and you can see him starting to like, clutch his arm earlier on in the um in the time when he's like loading the stuff so like they telegraphed it so like oh no (sighs) yeah i don't think it's like even like a direct result of like the fact that he's out of shape or over like quote unquote overweight i think it happens more as like this guy didn't do any this guy is not like a badass this guy is not like an imperial war hero he's literally like panicking and overworking Mm -hmm. because he's he's in this like backwater imperial base he's low low level Mm -hmm. and he's seeing barely any action the action he's seeing is basically his base getting screwed over by these rebels the fact that he got the wool pulled over his eyes like this the fact that he was this attack was happening on his watch i think is the reason he has a heart attack you know Mm -hmm. also the pushing and pulling of like all this weight and all this hard work and all this stress but it's like it's really like the collapse of his ego he's just like oh my god i can't believe it and uh um, yeah it was it was very realistic and unexpected surprising yes and surprising but it was so like so oh no like that really yeah I've, at first i was like did he get shot what's happening and then i was like oh oh <laughs> it's no because we, we've literally never seen someone have a heart attack in star wars before yeah but it like it's a thing you know <laughs> all right <laughs> 
You can't fix that with Baxta, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a gun battle breaks out and Gorin is killed and or enters the cockpit but is attacked by an Imperial soldier who is shot by Nemec. Tamron attempts to reach Val but is killed by a blaster bolt. Once Kez and Skeen have boarded the freighter, Andor flies it through a launch tunnel into the comet-covered night sky. Rockin'. This whole part is rockin'. Like, the the, the fight... I love a close-quarters strangle fight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, a, when someone's, like, strangling someone and they kick off something and, and then turn the tide on the on the fight. I love I love that. This whole part is thrilling. R.I.P. Tamarin. R.I.P. Gorn at this part, too, I think, is mm-hmm. when he loses it. Okay, this is, like, what I exactly what I wanted to happen when they were explaining the plan in the mm-hmm. previous episodes and it's like just as exciting as I wanted it to be. This is one of those episodes where it was set up and the hype for it was so well done from the previous two episodes and just how good the, the initial three episodes were mm-hmm. that I literally, have you ever been so excited for something that you've had a dream about it? Like yes. that you're at it. Like oh, I, yeah. al- I always oh. have these before a, a new star Wars movie comes out. Like yeah. before last, before last Jedi came out, I like had very vivid dreams every night about like, some insane dream logic version of what the movie was going to be. Yeah. And then and you always, always wake up like and you're mean. like, Oh, thank God. I'm glad it wasn't that. That was yeah. really weird. <laughs> My dream about what the heist was going to be like was like a complete subversion. And there was no heist and everyone just like walked away and had uh separate, like picnic dinner together. <laughs> Fast and the furious, like grit, like, grill like cookout in the backyard of their camp out and like oh everyone gosh. was there and i was like they just called it off and had dinner together so I was like, <laughs> i'm really glad that then that didn't happen it was actually just the uh awesome action of this episode so mm-hmm. i haven't been so hyped up for something this episode just paid off in yeah. spades that like I yeah when things started going wrong and then that guy's in there just like choking and or i just was like this is so i was just at the edge like i was just swearing at my tv like yelling like it was i was so stressed it was so brutal and heart pounding i just like this is how you do it i don't even know how what else to say it was so good <laughs> and, and at this point too the like the eye is going full full blast and, and looks incredible and it looks it looks like it took like five years to make this scene because it's like yeah. textured it's got this like kaleidoscopic element to it. It looks beautiful, mm-hmm. but then especially, you know, I don't know what the effect is called, but you know, and like, um, you know how like Roger Deakins does that thing where like he has uh, like a fire blazing in the background and it's just in the for someone's standing in the foreground and it's their silhouette. Um, it's, he does it in like every movie that he shoots mm-hmm. it, having that as like the background and then like backlighting, someone crawling down into a TIE fighter or crawling down into a ship while this amazing kaleidoscopic display is going on in the background. It was just like one of the most memorable Star Wars moments ever. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then it gets even cooler once they take off. So um, the eye did not disappoint, like no, I was saying. They built the it up. They bit. hyped it up in universe and out of universe. And yeah. it, it it delivered. So yeah, during the ascent, Nemec is physically and I mean metaphorically crushed by the weight of a sliding skid full of Imperial payroll. Mm-hmm. Skeen and Val manage to free Nemec, but he's seemingly paralyzed from the waist down. Um, Kez sedates Nemec with a med spike while Andor asks for hyperspace coordinates as they fly through the comet-covered night sky, pursued by three TIE fighters. Um, Nemec guides Andor as he flies the freighter while the TIEs attempt to keep up with the fleeing ship before being destroyed by crystal meteors. Like you were saying, this part, 
flying through the center tunnel of crystallized metal crystallized shards and mm-hmm. using those to like take out tie fighters but not taking themselves out is thrilling television. yeah and just the intensity i just did, i did also love andor just like can you like help me I'm like yeah i literally can't see anything and you guys are all freaking out back there i need you to like say something to me Andor asks skeen and vel where they're heading Val thinks that Nemec is dying, but Skeen disagrees, saying that they have a doctor built into the contingent. He can help them out. They land, and Nemec is treated by our new best friend, Dr. Quadpaw. Is that his name? It's Dr. Quadpaw. No. Yeah. Oh, it's, my it, God. It, it yeah. might just be Quadpaw, but it's Dr. Quadpaw, I think. <laughs> and he's got four hands. Yeah, yeah. You see, sometimes this show like makes it easy to forget you're watching a Star Wars yeah. because it's like so like serious, but it's not like annoyingly serious it's like incredibly well done serious and then you'll have something like that and you'll be like oh yeah this is star wars i forgot there's a four-armed guy named dr quad paw <laughs> but like still treated extremely so seriously, seriously. that's um, the best part about star wars i in the preview i, I thought this was like a say the same race as um maz mm. um in it, it Clearly is not because he I, looks I different. Know. Yeah, something. Yeah, else. Just, just the same like orange color and the same like cybernetic eye situation and like I don't know. Um, but yeah, they land and like I I don't know the the fact that Doctor Quadpaw is working on him is so great. Uh, he's mm-hmm. a yeah four armed humanoid doctor uh, who operates on Nemec outside the hut. This part is out of control. Outside <sighs> the hut, Skeen tells Andor that the vault is worth eighty million credits. And proposes between the two of them to split the profit and bail. Andor questions Skeen about, you know, in the previous episode, he was like, I have a brother. He was growing pepper trees. The Empire took it all and he killed himself. Who reveals, yeah, he reveals he made the whole pepper tree story up and suggests hiding the stolen payroll on a nearby moon. Cassian immediately is disgusted and springs into action and shoots him without even thinking. <laughs> and my jaw was on the ground. Me like, too. He, didn't, he was in the middle of a sentence, I feel like. Mid-sentence. Yeah, and my sister, who is watching with me, was immediately like, Cassia needs to stop shooting people. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I understand that, like, it's an emotional reaction, but he just needs to not do that. (laughs) He needs to stop shooting people. (laughs) He, he really he has an itchy trigger finger and he can't. He help does, it. He and when he gets upset, he just goes for it. But this was wild because he. Like, I was talking about it. We were, like, discussing it afterward because he clearly has this this moral center that was so offended, so disgusted by the fact yes. that this guy would lie about these things that were so seemingly personal yes. and, like, try and double-cross this whole this whole thing. Like, it, it proves that he has a, a moral center and, like, a... Yeah intrinsic if not well uh examined belief in the cause that he would just react that way it reveals so much about him but it also reveals a lot about him that he just sort of reflexively shoots a guy just out of disgust this is why i don't really write write so many notes anymore is because i like i trust you and know that you're going to bring up exactly what i want to talk about about it it's such an interest interesting dynamic that cassian the guy who said i want to just win and leave yeah. basically win, take the money and go. It's it's forming in his head. It's like it's just the little inkling of like belonging to something is forming because how how dare he? You know, he, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have thought that otherwise. You know, he would have either entertained the notion or been like, no, thank you, whatever, I'm out. But like he realizes that this this selfish 
mindset is so dangerous to the cause at large that he's got to die. And I saw some people talking about like, maybe he was just testing him and all this other stuff. And it's like, I think Cassian was the one testing him from the get go. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's the reason, like the reason he asked about the pepper trees or like what the reason was that he was, that scheme was part of it is I think that Cassian's like bullshit detector went off as soon as he got there Mm -hmm. to meet them because you know, Skeen is constantly giving and or shit for everything. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, obviously trying to distract from the case that like he's the one that's the shady one, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a lot of evidence there to suggest that he was not testing Andor, but was honestly like, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's let's split this money. Yeah, and I never like, thought that for a second. Like everything no, no. about it was there's, the shysty look on his face when he's telling him is just like too authentic to be yeah. anything else. And, but that, that conversation does add an interesting element of like, did that guy just die trying to test his loyalty? And it's cast him as so and loyal. It did have me think about how, yeah. like, that is a bold thing to like, this is a bold mission to sign up for if all you wanted was money out of it. Totally. Like totally. when did he decide he was, I mean, like it's cure. I'm just curious about like, how long was he planning on double crossing them? Like when did this? He clearly even before, like while it was going down because you know, he ma- says he made up the pepper tree story. And like, as soon as he said that, I don't have, you know, I don't have a brother. I was like, you're dead. He's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Cassian's not going to suffer this fool. So yeah. especially since we know Cassian is so sore about his sister, like, you know, totally. that yeah. would feel like such an intense lie for him. Yeah. Yeah. Making up a family member when yeah. you don't actually have one is just like the ultimate yeah. slap in the face. And what is What a shock. What a shocking revelation. Like I, I feel like I'm not really easily surprised or shocked by things so much, Mm -hmm. but in this show, I was, I did not see this coming by any means. I had no idea. Just one more thing on top of a whole, like what? Like, yeah. After a whole heist, which you think is going to be the whole thing. The whole thing is actually this part. So Nemex comes to his injuries and dies. I got to say real interesting medical stuff in star Wars usually always works. So I always found it refreshing and interesting despite how sad it was. For it not to, because, yeah. you know, it just goes to show, I mean, other than Padme, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've kind of been shown that the medical science of Star Wars is pretty foolproof if you get to it in time. Yeah. So, you, you know, get a, if you get a blaster to the stomach, you just get a, a cyborg belly. So. Yeah. You know, but this shows it's not always the case. Andor enters the hut wielding a blaster and offers to pay the doctor's ship for 30,000 credits, offers to buy the doctor's ship for 30,000 credits. Ander reveals that Skeen is dead and that he wanted to take the money and leave them behind. Vel doesn't believe him and describes Andor as a disgusting bastard. Um, I mean, I don't blame her. That sounds, it's like, uh, you know, but still. Andor demands his share of the money, but offers to leave the freighter and the stolen payroll. Before he leaves, Vel insists Cassian take Nemec's manifesto and he swaps his kyber crystal for it and heads out the door. At the ISB central office on Coruscant, Major Partigas summons all Imperial Security Bureau personnel, including Lieutenant Deidre Miro, for an emergency meeting demanding that every star sector and planetary emergency retaliation plan in the building be ready for presentation by midnight. At the nearly deserted Imperial Senate, Senator Mon Mothma urges a fact-finding committee into the blockade of Gorman, but is ignored and abandoned by the other senators who have just received news of the heist. At his antiquity shop, Luthen Rail, 
hears news of a massive rebel attack on Aldani from a customer. He retreats to his back room and joyfully laughs at the rebel victory he helped orchestrate. This ending. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As the whole thing came back, came together, as the ISB people come together, you're starting to see how all these threads are going to come together. Now there's like this, this evidence of something central happening. And Deidre's like, I knew it. So like, what's going to happen there? She's like, she now knows she was on the right track. So what's she going to do next? I can't wait to see what happens there. This scene in the Senate with Mon Mothma was so incredible, not just because we got to see our beloved Senate with the floaty little pods that we love so much. I cheered when I saw it. Vote now. Vote now. So good. We love it. We love to see it. But now that not only did we get to see that, but just the subtle beauty of that storytelling just really brought to light the the Mon Mothma character arc that we're seeing happen in this episode because she's on the Imperial Senate floor, arguing for this thing that is about her, like it's a bill that is related to her, her, um, you know, moral quandaries with the empire and related to her cause of like, we need to stop this. We need to look into this. But she knows that it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. Like people aren't paying attention. She knows that like this work that she's doing in the Senate is not going to go anywhere. Right. Then people start leaving. She picks up her data pad and looks. And from the knowing look on her face, we see that she sees the news. She's surprised by it. She clearly was not in on this plan. Right. But like from her look, you can see that she knows that this is part of what she orchestrated, that the sure. money she's been moving around led to this. So like in the middle of trying to have this thing go through the normal uh, political course that's not working, she looks and she finds proof in the middle of that that the other thing is beginning to work. The other thing that she's doing is beginning to work. And all this is said in a scene where she doesn't even say anything to react to the news, but you can see it. It's like that's her, that's the arc that she's going to have in this show is like moving from that bureaucratic attempt to fix things into that imperial I mean, not Imperial, Rebellion attempt to fix things, to fight the Empire. It. And she's seen that in that moment. It was just so brilliantly done, so subtle, but so held so much meaning in just like a tiny scene. Absolutely. Ah, so good. And not to mention that, you know, our bright and shiny prequels, um, Imperial Senate is now like just such a, a shell of its former self. Like mm-hmm. no one's, barely anybody's in attendance. It's literally just pageantry at this point it seems mm-hmm. like like it's allowed to exist because you know palpatine it's, it's still manipulating you know it's allowed to exist like that there's any semblance of power in this thing you mm-hmm. know it's just it goes on like a, a a charade and even that was so brilliantly done because you just look around and so many of those pods are just completely vacant mm-hmm. um and that it's just such a it just puts you in such a time and place of what what condition the galaxy's at at this point mm-hmm. um and it just looks dead in there. You know, it looks completely like devoid of color or or, or life. And I, I think that the, the whole galaxy is feeling that way at that point. So just so, so much going on in this ending. And then, yeah, like you said, just to see the rallying of like you, it, it, it be, it's, you know, if the first three episodes was like a rock 
hitting a larger rock than pushing a boulder off the cliff like the rubes goldberg device is going now mm-hmm. where it's like now the reverberations of like, like smaller actions have smaller reactions this is a mid-level action that's having an even bigger reaction and yeah. it's just i love that storytelling din- dynamic in this show that it's like hit the dominoes over and watch them fall so mm-hmm. a brilliant episode of Andor. the next episode it's like an individual episode and then an arc after that that's very interesting to me yeah, I'm curious yeah. to see how that's going to happen. I mean, I'm sure it's all going to be connected. I wonder sure. if it's going to be sort of some like fallout from this episode or just a bridge from one arc to the next. But I thought possibly a flashback to like um, Canary or something. Oh, yeah, like we that. haven't seen much of that. That could be more. We could get more of that. I'm excited to see the fallout from, you know, Luthen planning this. I wonder if my Mothma will be excited by it or angry about it like why didn't you clue me into this or you know what's next for cassian what's next for vel where's cinta she's still she okay Mm -hmm. she's just hanging out on aldani still um yeah i mean we're going back we've like reset i'm sure vel will come back but we've basically reset back to cassian again Mm -hmm. and so yeah it'd be interesting what happens next yeah literally i just have no clue anything and everything can happen in this show and it it certainly is so and the best part is that I have no idea, but I know it's going to be awesome because right, literally sure. nothing. I feel in such good hands. This is these are master storytellers at work. Absolutely, and everything has been so good. I know it will continue to be that way. The part at the end of trading back the Kyber for the manifesto was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was talking before about how Cassian accepted the Kyber crystal from Luthen as like a trial by fire situation like his christening into a larger world in this case he trades that in for the actual thing that i think is going to ignite his story right like Mm -hmm. we're used to kyber crystals being the thing that leads a jedi and like that's their main you know obviously like the the main symbol of their lightsaber and everything like that that's not his story right Mm -hmm. his story isn't about the force it's about aligning to a cause and that manifesto is really going to be what kicks him off. And that's mm-hmm. fascinating show. Just over the moon about it. I cannot believe it exists. And I, I like I was saying, I want to tell every single person to watch this. I don't care what your opinion or relationship with Star Wars is. You should be watching this show. Yeah. Tell your grandma to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Tell your honestly. weird uncle to watch it. Tell everyone. <laughs> everyone um, needs to watch it. More Star Wars like this needs to exist. If you guys can get one one of your grandmas to watch Andor, I'll I'll give you a special prize or something. Just let's wrap it there. Unless you have anything else to say, that's about it. Except this show has absolutely um, given me life and killed me week after week, and I <laughs> some of the yeah. best TV I've ever seen. Life has just become what happens between episodes of Andor. You know, we have a lot more great stuff coming with Stephanie and other guests, some spooky season coverage, some famous cheerleader movie coverage, uh, (laughs) some video game coverage. We're doing it all. So stay tuned for that. We'll talk about Werewolf by Night and the end of She-Hulk. A lot of stuff coming up in order that I'm not quite sure of yet. So Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll figure that out and get back to you. But thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to follow us at B1M1Pod on Instagram. Make sure to follow, uh, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Ring the bell and rate us five stars on Spotify. Special thanks to Christian Kramel for our theme music. And again, uh, as always, thank you to Stephanie Cole for being here today. We'll see you next week for at least some more and our coverage and possibly a lot more. So thanks for listening.